All right, after a short break, World Cup Racing is back. So we're here with your Maxxis Tyres pre-race show for this weekend's racing in Andorra. Maxxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. It's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup and EDR racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxxis has got the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. On my enduro bike, I've been running the DHR2 Max Terra double down on the rear, paired up with the Asagai Max Grip on the front in their slightly lighter XO Plus casing. On the downhill bike, I've gone full DH casings, I've gone with their super grippy Max Grip compound, and I'm running the DHR2 both front and rear. Both those setups are working awesome for me. You can check out the entire range of Maxxis tyres over at maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at maxisbike. All right, it's Valnord World Cup week and I'm sitting down with Chris Kilmurray to find out about the changes to the track, the impact that rain can have in this location, dealing with the heat, who has a score to settle and much, much more. So without further ado, here's Chris Kilmurray for our Maxxis Tyres pre-race show for the 2023 Valnord World Cup. Chris Kilmurray, uh, it feels like ages actually since we last did this, but it probably is only like three or four weeks. How, how long has this break been? Yeah, I think it's only three weeks since we would have done the pre-race uh, show for Fort William World Champs. So it's only two weeks plus a day or two since then, yeah. since the end of that race. But it does, for whatever reason, it does feel like it's been a long, long stint, funny enough. But yes. it's been, I think I counted out about 55 days since the last World Cup. So over okay. a month, month and a half, month and a bit, so a month and a yeah. half really. So it's, it's big stint since the last World Cup. So I think actually World Champs being the race it is with slightly... Well, substantially different organization and riders and kit and focus and everything else. I think everyone's going to kind of be uh, thrown back into the deep end here. Straight qualies, semis, finals. Like, oh yeah, I got to do three of them again. So <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back to the back to the new schedule kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let's talk briefly about Worlds um, before we talk about Andorra. Any like particular standout highlights for you from that, that week? Um. They did a fantastic job updating the track. It was, you know, potentially too fast, too easy in the beginning. But as as you'd expect, it got pretty rough and became a pretty good challenge. And as um, the Scottish weather does any time other than the month of May, it seems month of May is summer in, Scot- in that part of Scotland. So beyond the month of May, it can do anything and it definitely did anything. So we had a pretty, pretty wild race day um, for the elite men. The elite women got some good conditions. Um, but for the elite men, the, yeah, the conditions were pretty gnarly, and it was—I think it was just good to see yet again, kind of no matter what, the cream of the crop kind of rises up. And obviously, Charlie and Andy were the the stars of the elite men's show, you know, teammates and best friends getting the one-two, which is which is pretty epic to see. Andy, I suppose, threw away that race in the woods, yeah. um, like a lot of guys did. Bruni lost quite a bit of time in there as well. Um, it was, yeah, weather affected. I don't think so. I think all you know, all the top guys were battling it out in very similar conditions but the track the track definitely deteriorated as we went on especially if we look at the the times on the motorway section i think you know bruni was the only guy in the top five who had a top six he was sixth overall in that sector so he was the only guy who actually managed to kind of pump and pedal hard enough to actually you know do a good job in the last sector so that's how kind of soggy and deteriorated the track got so we got a classic a classic wet wild fort william and yeah strange one for for that to be world champs first time it was world champs since 2007 at that venue we know it super well from the world cups 
but it definitely had a because I think because it was part of those Glasgow games, the the World Cycling Games, uh, and obviously Fort William and Glasgow were quite far apart. It had a bit of a disjointed kind of feel to it or something. I'm not really sure exactly how to describe it. It was it was an interesting one. Yeah, definitely. And I've certainly seen Charlie uh, has been very busy. Obviously, I'm based in the UK. He's a UK rider. Has been a lot of media demands. He's been on like national radio, national television, all sorts of stuff. We talk about the the world champs curse kind of thing, like people sometimes struggle when they get into the stripes and Charlie's getting them very early in a season where, you know, there was some momentum going his way. Anyway, do you think it's going to have been a tough couple of weeks for Charlie or do you think he's the sort of guy that's just going to take all this in his stride? Honestly, I don't really know. Like I, I know Charlie to, to chat to and say hello to, you know, we've been around the races together for years. Um, and he's one of the nicest, most genuine guys you'll ever meet. I don't think anyone would say anything different about him. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, no airs and graces. He'll, he'll have just been, you know, he'll have been himself at all those interviews and meetings. And I think he's got the, the physical capacities and the riding ability as a buffer that, you know, I don't think it's going to affect him too greatly the last two weeks. Of, and, he, and I, I imagine he's been training and chipping away at riding and training since then as well probably in Dovey Bike Park or somewhere in Wales probably wet uh, <laughs> so um, I, I don't think it'll affect him too much and uh, yeah interesting one I think the majority of riders who've won world champs as their first major victory having not won a world cup have at least been on a world cup podium you know Reese as an example had had a couple of podiums before he became world champ in 2020 um, so I think Charlie's one of the first ones maybe the first one ever I'm not sure I'll have to dig into the results and, and, and check back. I'm pretty sure even like a guy like Miles Rockwell, who won in 2000 in Sierra Nevada, would have had a, a World Cup podium before he won that race. Um, although I'm definitely open to being corrected, someone who knows the stats better than me. Um, so interesting one for Charlie, but I think it'll do nothing but just you know show him that he's he's got the ability to, to be right up there. And he won't expect anything, um, but him and Andy have seemed to have the bike dialed, seem to have their process of working together and helping each other and using you know each other with GoPro analysis in the evenings and stuff from what, I, from what I've seen. Um, so I think both of those guys are just on the up. So yeah, there's no reason why, you know, Reese did something similar. He came out and won qualifying the week after winning world champs in Liugang, the COVID year. Um, absolutely smashed everyone in a wet qualifying in Maribor and then unluckily or you know, poor decision making out of him I'm not sure which which one it was really but had a huge crash the next morning in, in practice before racing and then had to sit out the rest of the season um, so I think it's definitely possible to just take the confidence from from your world champs win being one of your first big wins and just running with it so yeah be, it's going to be interesting to see and if Charlie does continue to keep himself up there in the top kind of five or eight riders it's just another another rider in the pile so it's going to be good racing for the fans yeah definitely a dangerous duo those two and it's going to be great to see charlie in the stripes on the hill this weekend uh valley hole seems to be quite comfortable in those stripes and she's kept them for another year she's carrying a huge amount of momentum at the moment i would say like she just seems to be on a real uh strong winning streak and is riding incredibly well she's going to be hard to beat this weekend yeah i think um, well, anything can happen. Uh, everyone's beatable type thing. Uh, she won here last year, which was, you know, the turning point in her season. Before that, she'd crashed in pretty much every qualies or finals um, or made a mistake or had some sort of huge issue. Um, and this was like the turning point last year, although it was quite, you know, a lot earlier in the season. It was mid-July last year. But um, yeah, I think she's she's the woman to beat for sure. And she's riding amazingly well. And if you look at her, her times and her riding, 
from world champs on Fort William just so much more mature than it was a year previous let's say or you know 16 months or 18 months previous to that um you know she didn't dominate she only won the only sector she won um at world champs was sector five she didn't win any of the other sectors um so she wasn't you know head and head and shoulders faster than everyone else she was just better everywhere she just rode a really measured, consistent, super fast, well-ridden race and smashed it. Yeah, so maybe she's figured out she doesn't have to go hell for leather to swing off it from the first from the first turn. You know, she's figured out what it means to be a world-class racer and that makes her super dangerous. So it's cool. Yeah, and to see a young racer like Valley living up to the potential and all of the hype from, you know, not her own hype, but other people's hype from when she was a teenager, you know, to see her fulfilling that um, week in, week out now, you know, back-to-back world champ all those sorts of things that's just amazing amazing for the sport amazing for her so it's real cool yeah definitely man and uh let's talk about andorra in the specifics then and maybe we should start with the weather because it's um i was there last year and it was pretty challengingly hot i would say and i think the forecast shows probably fairly similar for this year right yeah i think um a little bit colder this year just about maybe a few degrees colder at the top of the hill luckily um so I think everyone's going to be look enjoying the fact that it's probably going to be 35 Celsius down in town here, but only 22 or 23 at the top of the track. But I think with, with the UV index and the heat of the sun, it'll feel like last year would be baked. I remember getting a real good suntan here last year, spending hours <laughs> out on the hill trackside. Um, and then it looks like, so yeah, we're going to have a super dusty track. I think the track, this part of the world, when it does get rain during the summer, just gets torrential downpours in, in thunderstorms. So it doesn't really, you know, you need gentle rain f- for it to saturate and all the, the massive downpours do here in Andorra because it's got this, I'm not sure what this, what the rock type is, but underneath the soil surface has just bedrock of some variety. Um, so when we get these huge torrential downpours, it just strips the, the soil off the top and you just destroys tracks, which is if you go and ride the old World Cup track here, you're basically in a meter deep ravine the whole way down. <laughs> it's pretty impressive just how, how much it's been eroded the last kind of 15 years or 12 years. Um, so yeah, I think the actual track is, is pretty beaten up from the sun and from the rain. Uh, new bottom section though. So where that famous gap was last year where the organizers had the chainsaws out mid-practice trying to chainsaw out the stumps that were killing that was killing people that were trying to gap this silly gap. Uh, from that point onwards, the, the track turns to rider's right. So we have maybe 35 seconds, 40 seconds of fresh track at the bottom. So I've heard uh-huh. it's pretty basic in the woods. So just fingers crossed that it... Uh, it develops nicely and you know as the riders get on it because it's not been ridden i think a few people who are local to here have you know ridden it but it's not taped they don't exactly know where it's going to go so it's not properly ridden so i think now that it'll be taped and we get some tires on dirt it'll be good to see a little bit of fresh and it also means we remove those crazy bridges for the finish lines so that's good finish line is now beside the gondola beside the chairlift yeah yeah, yeah there's a lot dangerous. of feedback not, last year that, cool. yeah pe- people weren't into uh the work they'd done putting those bridges in and we did see a, f- a few kind of pretty nasty crashes especially on that last like drop off the bridge into the finish onto tarmac so yeah that's going to make things better and i guess it's it's good to have a bit of challenge something new for the riders to learn as well right because the track i mean i'm gonna say straightforward i was probably totally wrong but it, there wasn't a huge amount going on but very high speed and very loose i, I think kind of found it, it made it hard for riders to sort of differentiate maybe yeah, like especially the top section. I think Finn did a real good job last year, uh, as did Valley uh, on the very, very first section of track. 
um, and actually trying to eke out any advantage on those big berms with the jumps was was definitely hard. But if you watch the footage back, like I, I think you know, you'll you get the more vocal fans will be on on the forums and on Pink Bike comments and stuff. Will just slate a track like this because it, you know, visually it looks just pretty basic. Um, but there is separation happening, and obviously the separation is you know tenths of second or maybe up to a second over over thirty five or forty seconds. But that separation comes from somewhere. It comes from better bike riding. It comes from smarter bike riding. It comes from better setup with the bike. And so there is there is gaps to be had. And you know the you know Valley's gap back to Nina last year in second place was three and a half seconds or something. And the men were you know quite a lot closer, but like the top fifteen. I don't know. I can't remember what the top fifteen spread was in the men, but it was it was pretty far considering, like considering how basic the track is supposed to be or how it looks visually relatively basic. I think the spread was still five or six seconds, maybe six seconds. You know, under under three minutes, six seconds to the top fifteen is still, it's still there's still margins to be had. You know, um, and it it is it is pretty straight and direct down the hill, which is a shame in spots. Now maybe they've added a couple of corners because that was definitely feedback that was given in the middle portion that was just super high speed straight down the hill but even with where it was straight and high speed there was there was some line choice and there was some different variations being slightly inside or outside and sacrificing a little bit of speed in one section to gain it back you know further down the hill and because the surface is so so loose it's really hard to commit to the edge of the tire and commit to your like very precise braking points and stuff and i think if you watch jackson goldstone's helmet cam from last year from his winning run which ended up being the fastest time of the weekend uh, you can see how how tight you can cut the line, how straight you can go, how fast it can be. And I don't think anyone, I think all the keyboard warriors who are smashing away saying it's uh, it's too easy or whatever. I think if they tried to hang on Jackson's wheel, they'd, uh, they'd, uh, they'd be tapping less on the keyboard that evening. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Probably because they'd be chewing dust all day, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, as a result, there was quite a lot of mistakes up on the hill come race day, hey? Like, mm. um, we saw a fair few big ones, some relatively bad crashes, but even in the top few riders, there was, you know, there were some mistakes there and uh, some some time left on the hill for sure. Yeah, like Finn, you know, probably should have, could have won the race if it wasn't for that huge mistake in the middle. He was P1 uh, at sectors one and two, so the first kind of minute and a half of the track, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, and visually, just before he, he makes that huge mistake, visually, he's definitely on another level, but obviously that meant he came into that one corner with way too much pace and made that huge mistake. Um, so I think everyone knew last year that, you know, they were going to have to, you know, push the boat out, throw the, throw a caution to the wind or whatever way you want to say it. They were going to have to just get after it if they wanted to win, or at least that's what everyone thought. And there was definitely some mistakes made. And, you know, Benoit Coulange had a huge crash in qualifying in, in just above where Finn made his mistake in finals and had a real bad leg injury because of it. So the consequences are big with the rocks here and the high speeds. Um, Finn made a mistake Aaron Gwynn made a pretty big mistake at a crucial section of track that goes slightly uphill cost him a chunk of time I can't remember what it cost him but it definitely cost him actually in the end it probably didn't cost him uh, one position potentially was what it cost him but it cost him you know being a lot closer to the victory time Angel Suarez threw away what would have been a podium run in the last second last corner basically um, he was on it the whole way down the hill like P4 there thereabouts would have been his position otherwise I'm trying to think who else Finn almost threw it away again at the finish line, almost died like like Remy Meyer Smith did. Um that dodgy finish line drop. So yeah, it was it was intense racing. I, I from what I remember, I remember being at the finish line, um, topping up my suntan, baking. <laughs> and I remember it being just intense, like intense racing once the last few guys came down. And Loris just rode it like really smooth. <laughs> extremely yeah. fast and extremely smooth and just, you know, won by 
won by a little chunk because of it. So yeah, really interesting. I think the one thing that looks like could be a bit of a a variation this year is that we look like the weather's going to break. So summer is finally stopping on Friday night, this part of the Alps. So the long range forecast for the Pyrenees down here and even the whole way up through the Alps um, everywhere, Western France and, and Northern Spain, the long-term forecast is that Friday night through to Saturday morning, which is race day for us, um, winter, winter is arriving. So we're going to drop about 20 Celsius, it looks like. So we're going to go from yeah 36 during the day to a peak of about 15. And that means top of the track here is the highest we have at the season at 2,400 meters. So it looks like single digit temps at the start line. So what that does to the track, I don't know. I think it might potentially make for better racing with flat light and tacky dirt but we'll see yeah it'd be interesting to see there is a reasonable amount of rain forecast as potential for saturday as well coming kind of i think just before the racing maybe kicks off but if it comes down heavy do you think it does much to the track does it need to be a more like slower consistent fall of rain for the things to actually change very much Honestly, I don't know that section of the hill. Like there's certain sections of the old track if during a torrential downpour are just unrideable, basically. There's, there's that clay soil right near the bottom, which would become unrideable. Further up the track, it would be pretty much fine because be, you're already down at the bedrock in a lot of spots. So as long as you're hopping over the slippy routes further up on the old track, you'd be fine. With this new track, it being so exposed, the majority of it, this kind of sandy, silty dirt, um, and then the middle portions down to bedrock already. Uh, I yeah, don't know. Definitely to be to be seen. TBC to be confirmed. It's going to be an interesting cat among the pigeons, I think. You know, and then obviously a lot of people are going to run mud mud tires anyway, because of how loose and dusty it is. Uh, some of the riders who like like a mud tire will try a mud tire uh, early in the week, so they'll maybe just stick with them or maybe not. Who knows? And if we do have uh, rain coming in, I guess potential to benefit some of the riders that live in Andorra, kind of throughout the year. So. Greg Minar, Loic Bruni, Loris Verge, I think Angel Suarez all have places mm-hmm. in Andorra. So I'm assuming we'll have at least spent a little bit of time on that hill in wetter conditions, maybe. Yeah, I think the way from what I remember when I when I, I coached Angel for the last kind of uh, four seasons before this year, um, and from what I remember when he was at home here in Andorra. Uh, and we had different training sessions planned, whether it was, you know, out on the enduro bikes or the e-bike or the downhill bike. I think it was a case of if it was raining consistently, you'd ride because things were predictable. You'd have an idea as to what the conditions are going to be. If it was a torrential thunderstorm, you just end up in the gym. So <laughs> uh, what that means for racing, I just don't know. Obviously, when your start time is your start time, you're just, you're just sent down the hill. You're just sent off to risk your life for Chris Hall's entertainment, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> yep sorry about that i don't actually know um, yeah so to be confirmed we'll see man we'll see yeah yeah and pits last year were a bit of a nightmare so there was a a pit complex at the top of the old track um and then basically people were having to set up a remote pit at the bottom of the new track about two miles around the mountain which i'm sure uh wasn't great for the teams especially when the weather's so hot and kind of hard to work in and that's changed a bit this year, right? The pits, I think, has all moved around to this new side of the hill that's being used. Is that right? Yeah, so almost not quite. Um, <laughs> so the finish line has moved. So where the finish line used to be is going to be used for extra pit space, as well as the road itself. So I think the road is called La Botella, or whatever the road is called, the C- CG, whatever road, uh, is closed, as far as I'm aware, because uh, it's going to be the pits. Um, from what I understand is that, so the elite teams, uh, UCI elite teams, who the majority have big 
you know, semi trucks, uh, articulated trucks, that sort of thing, uh, will all be at the finish line. So there's 15 to 18 elite teams. They'll all be at the finish line area. And that's the perk of being, you know, a, a big successful team with fast riders makes sense uh unfortunately even though we are all at the finish line area um there is quite a slope on the road um so from what i understand is that while the while the trucks themselves you can kind of prop up the wheels and deal with the slope and the camber because obviously the road cambers to one side as well as slopes away from you so while you can deal with the truck itself the awnings the very large awnings because they span such you know a huge amount of square meters i think that's going to be a bit of a nightmare and even the mechanics are going to have to work on lopsided bikes it looks like so not ideal um and then the non-elite teams are going to be further up the hill at there's like a restaurant ski area complex which is, I think, called the de la Botella, um, further up. Um, so that's where they are. So that's about a kilometre and a half uphill. So they'll be able to ride down, uh, roll down to get the lift up to practice, and then probably a shuttle system on the way back up, which is fine. Um, and then some other team's riders will be along the road, and then I think the majority of people will have a mechanic at the finish line during practice, because that'll be the easiest. Last year's system of being at the old pits, the big horseshoe flat ski area, uh, and shuttling up and down was probably potentially actually better. But hey, what can we do? It's a shame. It's a shame that it's, it, is, it is what it is in that, in that regard. Um, there is plenty of other ski areas around here that have amazing um, hills and flat car parks, but they're not the ones that can pay and organize the race. So what can we do? Yeah, tricky stuff. And are the riders doing certain things to kind of deal with the heat, manage the heat in these locations? You see like Formula One drivers in ice vests before races and stuff like that. But are we starting to see that in, in downhill mountain biking? Yeah, I think we've seen that for a long, long time now. So ice vests were the norm for the more um, resourced teams last year at the top of the hill because I remember, you know, warming up for qualities and finals. There was limited um, tent space provided by the organizers and inside the tents was pretty warm because the sun was so warm. So, you know, riders were just outside with an umbrella and ice fest where possible. Um, and then, you know, between runs, after runs, it's ice baths. Uh, most teams will have some sort of an ice bath system um, at the side of the trucks. Uh, cold towels, ice, keeping hydrated, hydrating with, you know, slushy type you know, icy, icy beverages, keeping core temperature down, that sort of stuff. So I think everyone's pretty dialed. I think that the issue with downhill is because of body armor and because of the, you know, pants and, and long sleeve jerseys um, and helmets and goggles and just the nature of the stop start nature of the sport. I think it means you sweat a lot more than you think, like a lot more than you think. So it's, it's easy to get home in the evening being a touch dehydrated. So it's just a matter of everyone staying on top of hydration. Um, but we have a slight schedule change for this race. The junior... The juniors get half an hour practice window before they're qualifying on Thursday. So that means mm -hmm. the elites get half an hour less practice than normal. So they only have three hours Thursday morning, um, which means less time on track. So yeah, four or five laps. Less sweating. Yeah. Less sweating. Yeah. Or more sweating in a shorter period of time, more time to cool down and recover. <laughs> so I think everyone will be fine. Everyone will be fine. Just depends how, how baking hot the sun is. I think, you know, when you've got your fancy elite team truck and it's got its 16 by 16 meter awning, uh, it just depends what color it is and whether it's a microwave inside or not. <laughs> yeah, fair. And it feels like a you know women's category that's already been pretty slammed this year is just going to be hotting up more and more. We've got Nina Hoffman kind of coming back from that knee injury. 
you know, serious pace there and maybe a bit of a score to settle. It's not gone her way so far this season. I think world champs, it very much looked like uh, Marin Cabaru's back on the form that we expect. Mm. Harney looked like she was back on pace before that horrible crash into the finish area. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting racing in that group. Uh, there's so many women now on great form that are firing and could take a win here. Yeah, like I think we could probably do a podcast just on the women, but um, I think if we start at the, the youngest first, you've got Phoebe Gale, who got fifth at World Champs, who yeah. won the junior race convincingly here last year, and she won the last sector on track with a time that was the fastest of the weekend, so beat all the elite women in that sector as well. So that and the only girl to do that last year in a sector, so that kind of you know shows that you know when, when Phoebe's on, she's she's really on. So kind of podium potential, like she got had a podium already this year. Um, and she likes this track for sure. Gracie Hemstreet, you know, slowly coming back from a, a mid-season injury, was riding a bit of Morzine. So interesting to see how Gracie, because when Gracie did it last year, multiple times qualified 15 seconds back and then won the race in juniors last year. So Gracie's capable of all sorts of things. Uh, Jenna Hastings coming back from uh, an injury as well. I think it was a wrist or a thumb injury. So she'll be slowly creeping up the rankings again. Hard to know what Isabella Yankova after having a huge crash and probably a bit of a you know, a big black eye. And obviously when you get a black eye, it's generally some sort of concussion related symptoms, or at least you need to treat it as such. You need to just chill. So hard to know what Isabella. Uh, missing Jess Blewett, who got a podium here last year. It was pretty fast here last year, unfortunately, missing Jess. Uh, but Camille Ballanche has probably the biggest score to settle. Four second places, four races, second places yep. in semi-finals, second places in qualifying, four second places in finals. I think self-confessed, uh, she said it to me or someone near me that definitely it's time to hang it out a bit and win. Although she did hang it out here in finals last year and it didn't pay off. You know, she, she blew out at that high speed section of track and definitely cost her a shot to win. So um, no Miriam, sadly, who had food poisoning here actually last year and was worse for wear even come finals but no Miriam still unfortunately but then like you said Marine on her way back up only woman on a full 29 bike 29 front and rear which may have some advantages in this sort of track we don't know but definitely like on pace um, fastest woman in the longest sector in Fort William um, Tani right back up on pace again like we saw and like got second to Valley in qualifying at, at World Champs 2.6 uh, no, a little bit more than that back. It's five seconds back or whatever it was, but she lost almost three seconds of that crash. Basically mm -hmm. just bouncing around the barriers, not crossing the finish line. So Tan is definitely like capable of, of good things and on the way back up, as is Marine. Marine was still in her back corset here last year, trackside, with a broken back. So, you know, 12 months, no, 14 months later, whatever it is, she's good to see her back. So And then obviously Valley is kind of the woman with the... The target on her back who probably doesn't feel like she has a target on her back because she's just kind of enjoying being consistent you know so it's going to be really really exciting racing yeah and now back to the semi-finals to finals cut off which with the depth of field we have especially with you know girls like um louise anna ferguson getting a podium or almost getting a podium at world champs um and anna newkirk being on probably best form of her career this year mm. um the 10 only for finals is a bit it's a bit of a bit of a dodgy one because you can just make one one mistake or get a puncture and you're missing out and you're shot at finals so yeah different um different ball game different dynamic for for a world cup versus world champs yeah and ellie's back as well ellie just won in Giro, uh sorry Euro oh yeah Nations just won your Euro champs yeah 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 definitely and uh, she's obviously coming back from the collarbone injury and especially collarbones take time to come back from you know like we saw bruni here last year lenser of the week before was just raced for the sake of getting some seat time and got 25th or something and then 
came out here and absolutely dominated. So I think collarbones, because it's such a key joint to hold the shoulder together and there's so much proprioceptive information that hangs around the, the connection between the scap, your scapula and your, and your collarbone. So the back of your shoulder and the top of your shoulder, basically, the, the brain and the body are like, um, if this thing doesn't, doesn't compute, doesn't operate, I don't want to. I don't want you swinging off the mountain bike. So I think once once you get beyond that and, and the brain and the body start to like gel and the bike gels with you, all of a sudden, as we see with Eleonora at European Champs, you get yourself into a, a good position again and you can ride your bike like you know how. So yeah. So that's what, that's probably 12. Is that 12 girls we just talked about at that's least? Easy, I would have thought, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah so that's cool. It's and 12 a- girls, probably six of which are capable of the top five, three of those so nine are capable of the top five really in reality six definitely you know easily in the top five but then those other three or four can just pip the, the others like phoebe did in uh in leo gang for example getting her first podium so yeah crazy good cool to see cool to see for the sport you know and the yeah, junior exciting. the junior girls too as well coming through yeah, so there's, there's a few that are looking progressing as the season goes on so it's cool to see those kiwi girls who stacked out the podium are probably all here and they're probably all keen to do it again yeah, that would be exciting for sure. And there's a few men as well, sort of on the comeback or like with scores to settle on. And one of them is uh, is the local man, Greg Minar. He's had a, a pretty horrific start to the year, to be fair. Like it feels like he's been on pace most of the races, but it's never quite converted into the result that it feels like he still deserves. Um, yeah, he's going to be back yeah, with a bit totally. of score to settle, I guess, trying to keep tyres on the bike. Yeah, race, race morning practice in... Fort William, I definitely saw the Greg Minar of 2021 Val de Soli, where he just leans back as he pulls slightly and not really a whole pile of care for where the front wheel lands because he's got so much range of motion and the bike is probably relatively stiff that he's just happy to let the thing bounce its way down the hill, you know. So the, the tall man's version of the Jackson Goldstone approach, um, which is definitely different when you're 85 or 90 kilos like Greg. So, yeah, I think it looks like, you know, from the outside, it looks like he's kind of forcing the issue at times when he, okay. should, he should potentially let it come. So maybe, you know, like being brutally honest, like if I was working with Greg, I'd probably, you know, tell him to let it come, don't force the issue. But at the end of the day, Greg Minari is Greg Minari. He's got more experience than, than everyone else put together, nearly, you know what I mean? He's got more experience than half of the field put together, half of the elite yeah. men in terms of race starts at World Cup, you know? So I think, you know, you'd have to work with Greg to to find a, a common solution that involves his vast amount of experience. But it definitely does look like he's he's trying hard because he knows he has to try hard. And I think, you know, talking to riders like Benoit Coulange and stuff during the break, like the, the consensus is if you want to be on the podium, never mind win, you have to go extremely hard, maybe harder than you're really willing to do. So trying to find that in training away from the racing and then find that again during practice without over-practicing or crashing like Greg did in the morning of finals in Fort William and picking up that shoulder injury uh, or then pushing the limits of the equipment like he has done with the ripping the tires off and stuff. So finding those balances, definitely uh, a big challenge. And the, the the level is so high. There's so many good riders. It's so hard to get a podium like, you know, Greg, I suppose. It's easy for me to say, oh, he's forcing the issue and that's what's causing the troubles. That's what it looks like from the outside. But the reality is, could be very different on the inside. You know, and maybe he's taking the right approach and it's just not working. And it will. All the old chips will fall into place soon and I'll be eating my podcast words. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. It'd be good to see a good uh, good result for Greg. And uh, Finn as well, like super well here last year up until that that uh, nearly huge moment in the rocks. Um, he's had a rough 
run through the sort of recent weeks. Like I think he was ill at Fort William. He's had some small injury niggles as well, which I believe he's got all fixed up. So hopefully Finn will be firing as well. He's always good to watch when he's when he's pushing. Yeah, like still, I've said it on the podcast a few times before. Last season, the fastest man when he's on and upright. Um, the times, that's what the times say. It's just green lights across the board. So hard to see when when the split times on the screen are relative to the person in the hot seat, not relative to the fastest person who wins the race type thing. So hard to see for the fans if they don't dig into the data afterwards. But you know, Finn has been consistently, you know, top three, if not the fastest guy when he's when he's pointing the bike in the right direction. Um, and he'll definitely have a score to settle here, you know, because he was so fast here last year. He's been carrying that thumb injury, which I assume is just a ligament. Probably that's what thumbs do. There's not much else in there, only ligaments and bones. Um, so niggling injury that he's cleaned up and I think the food poisoning he got or whatever sort of gastrointestinal issues he had in Fort William which basically caused all of his woes between crashing and getting punctures and everything else um, he apparently according to Instagram at least took a while to resolve it was a pretty bad dose what he had and I actually went up to kind of have a last chat with Ollie Zwar before his finals run at the top of the hill at World Champs and I did my normal kind of walk around just to throw a a side eye on warm-ups but mainly just actually to go down and look at the deterioration of the track so i walked past one of the warm-up areas walked down to you know the first kind of 200 meters of the track just to see how big the holes were getting from the rain see how much the rain was saturating the track and take a few photos and to kind of do the job you know and as i was walking back up past the warm-up area all of finn's lunch was coming out of his nose so (laughs) i handed him some tissues because i had some tissues to clean goggles and uh, yeah, I was I was surprised the guy even took to the start line. So yeah, he'll be a man with a a man on a mission this week. Yeah, another man on a mission that I'm really interested to see how this mission plays out this weekend is Jackson Goldston. So mm. he uh, he's had this like niggling appendix issue. I think he's been on antibiotics, kind of trying to keep that at bay until there was a gap in the racing, um, which he then took the opportunity to go and get the operation. I guess to have it removed. Um, the recovery didn't quite go as quickly as planned. I think he was hoping to be back in time for world champs, but it wasn't as straightforward. I believe he lost quite a lot of weight, couldn't eat solids for for a good while, was kind of on the chicken soup diet. Um, arguably a guy who doesn't have a huge amount of weight to lose. He's pretty, he's pretty slight. Um, it's going to be a challenge for him to be kind of back up to speed and strength uh, to race a track like this, but it's Jackson Goldson. I wouldn't put anything past that lad, eh? I put nothing past him. I don't think it's going to be a challenge at all. I think he's going to be right up there. <laughs> P1, 2 or 3 in qualities. That's it. Just call it now. If I had 50 euro to put somewhere, I'd happily put it in Jackson just as a safe-ish bet, you know. I think uh, I think the kid's riding ability and I think his, his mental approach that he's cultivated unknown to himself or, you know, without full insight into his own mental, mental capabilities, um, mental toolbox, skill set, mindset, whatever fancy word you want to use I think is is pretty strong so I think he'll be fine yeah um the appendix issue so I think anyone who's had appendicitis knows that it's it's pretty gnarly in terms of pain and recovery afterwards and I think from what I gather Jackson's was I think the doctors were surprised the man was standing never mind winning Valdesoli so um yeah I think yeah he's had a few weeks to ride at home he's been swinging off it here at Andorra getting used to the loose dust and dirt with with his crew of of friends that includes you know the likes of Ronan Dunn and Ike Klassen and all the younger generation of riders. So I think, yeah, the vibes will be high, as the kids would say, and uh, he'll have no problems. But the, well, the times will tell the story, won't they? Like, I'll eat my words again. 
eat my podcast awards again, no problem. But I think from what we know of Jackson, he'll have, he'll have no problems. Or maybe similar to Loic last year, it might take a race just to get back into the the race atmosphere, get used to the whole process and the clock and and figure out, just recalibrate the the intensity and perception of effort and perception of speed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, you know, I think that the, the individual calibration of that, that happens within the body figuring out, oh, this is the fast that isn't too fast where I, I go slow by hitting holes too hard. This is, this is what fast actually feels like. Figuring that out may take him a run or two on the clock, may not, we'll see. Doesn't normally, does it? He seems to no. have done hospital to racetrack pretty well in the past. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Nice one, man. Well, it's going to be no doubt a super exciting weekend of racing. Uh, the, the World Cup this year has uh, definitely provided some incredible racing and great stories so far, and I'm sure it will continue to do so. So, yeah, thanks for your insight and uh, have fun trackside, and we'll see how the racing goes come the weekend. Yeah, well, we've got three back-to-back, don't we? First time ever in a long, long time, I think. We have three World Cups at least back-to-back, so I think it'll be harder squeezing in podcasts than it will be squeezing <laughs> in bike rides, but we'll we'll get it done. And I think I think it's going to be cool for the fans. I think they're just going to get into the get into the flow of you know checking the updates, checking the results, checking the live feed, and I think any anyone and everyone who's been a bit um, miffed at the change in in television providers and annoyed by you know having to pay and everything else, I think maybe if you can pay for a month, commit to paying for this month only. It's what I, I don't know what it costs a month, 10 euro, maybe $10, whatever it is. I don't know. And you just want to pay for a month to see if you haven't committed to it because you don't like the idea or you don't like the fact that Rob's gone or whatever you like drinking Red Bull. I don't know. Um, just maybe commit to this month just to support the the fans and the sport because while at the end of the day while everyone's making you know the top riders are making big dollars like I know that when it comes to teams and support staff there's people here that aren't making the money they should be making and that's because the industry funds the sport and not the outside sponsors and you sitting on the fence about not spending 10 euro a month might mean that in eight years time we don't have downhill world cup anymore who knows so i'm not putting the guilt out there to anyone but i think if you want to commit <laughs> commit to a, a month's racing just commit to this one just watch it tune in get the numbers up enjoy some insane racing with some world-class athletes and probably be some good stories and i think they've, they've dialed in the tv um side of things a bit more now the camera crew you know it's bad on warner brothers discoveries behalf to start in Lenzerheide with um uneducated unexperienced cameramen wildlife mm-hmm. cameramen were trackside because that's all they could get and um, but i think now everyone's got experience at twisting the cameras and running the feed so i think we're going to get some we're going to get some good racing so whether you you prefer to tune into podcasts pre-race post-race or click on websites and look at photos if you do want to commit to a bit of live tv just to to support the riders and the sport and see what it's all about then you should you know yeah three uh should be three good races we know two of the tracks are really good from what i've seen the Luden va track should be pretty interesting as well yeah. a new venue for downhill so yeah it's gonna be a good few weeks on the road yeah, I think, totally. and, uh, and fresh sections racing. in leger too and fresh sections here so we got a lot of a lot of fresh coming up for three weeks a lot of stuff for the riders to learn a lot of stories unfolding in terms of um, people wanting to win or not lose, like you said, with Greg and Cammy and everyone else, uh, and a point scale that isn't really particularly good for... It's it's an awkward one, the point scale with semis and final points. So I think this, once we get three back-to-back like this with uh, nine timed runs, nine lots of points, is we're going to have some super interesting stories unfold for the overall for the last two races. So, yeah. I cannot wait. Nice one, man. Well, yeah, thanks for your time and uh, hope you have a good week. Yeah, man, you too. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for this Max's pre-race show with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it and are excited to watch the racing in Valnord as it unfolds throughout the week. 
A massive thanks to Maxxis for supporting this season. Maxxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride, so head over to Maxxis.com or visit your local Maxxis dealer and check them out. Here are a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode, forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch, and forward slash EP if you'd like copies of our lovely print project in collaboration with Miss Spent Summers, Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today, but until next time... Get out and ride.